0: To another hopefield message from life For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org Come on, I come to church to hear some good news. Can I hear a good amen everybody well wow, that's the best news you can tell me is it looks like you've lost a little weight. It's, it's never true, but it's my favorite thing to hear. so praise God. In fact, this is a true story, Pastor Paul. We, we, we always start our, our, the year off every january with 21 days of prayer and fasting and so we always do that and always lose a little weight during the know, as you can imagine and i think you know this is a good way to start the new year and i'm just going to use the momentum that was this fast and you know kind of go ahead and just get on a little diet plan and so i set a goal at the end of the 21 days that i would lose 20 pounds over the course of 2018 that's doable you know in a whole year 20 pounds and i'm happy i'm happy to how many kilos would that be right about eight kilos okay there so there you go so so I thought that that's a dual that's a doable goal and I'm happy to report y'all here we are about you know we're, we're almost at the end of April and only have 30 pounds to go come on somebody so <laughs> praise the Lord I'm, I'm well on my way it's so good to, so good I am thrilled 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 to be here how many are excited about a conference everybody if you are not registered come join us it is going to be a fantastic week uh, I am really looking forward to it. Two of, two of my favorites are here with Pastor Jensen Franklin and uh, Rich Wilkerson Jr. And, uh, and just, it's going to be a spectacular time. So I hope we get to see you guys this week for conference. And I'm, I'm so excited about what the Lord's going to do. It's going to be pretty awesome. And I am traveling here with my, my oldest son. I have a daughter then four boys. And, um, and by the way, and I, I, last time I was here, I just had kids. Now, I have grandkids. Can I hear a good amen? Some, Yeah. So my daughter has two, and then Michael's wife is pregnant, and then my next son's pregnant, and my daughter's pregnant. So I got two and three on the way this year. How many of y'all have grandkids? You have grandkids? Raise your hand, Man, it, I had no idea. These, these grandkids are very special. They're, they're better than kids. I mean, in fact, in fact if you have kids, let them live. There are better ones coming, everybody. Just hang in there. Don't kill them. Just, if, I'd have, if I'd have known, I'd have had these grandkids first. They're awesome. Praise God. So it's really good. And, uh, but I am thrilled to be traveling with my son, Michael, and we are looking forward to conference week. I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel. Grab your phones and your iPhones, your iPads, or you can use your eyelids on the screen, everybody. All right, we'll use those if you don't have any of those. And get some notes out, too. I want to give you a couple of things. Uh, Back in 2013, I wrote a book. um, I'm sorry. 2013, we did a message series at our church that ended up becoming a book. Uh, We actually, I tried to about twice a year, Pastor Paul, to do a verse-by-verse study through one of the books of the Bible. And I felt like the Lord led me to do a verse-by-verse through the book of Daniel. I don't know how much you know about it, but I'll catch you up on this beautiful book of Daniel and and after the series was over, it became the most rewatched series over and over. So many people were watching it, sending it to their friends, and I had, honestly, I had no idea that we had struck a nerve uh, by this series. If you know anything about the book of Daniel, it's a 12-chapter book, and it's put in the prophet section of the Old Testament, so it's a prophecy book, but it actually has a lot of history in it. The first six chapters are history, and some of the most famous stories of the Bible, like the lion's den, and... And and not bowing to this statue and all these great stories that are in there, but basically the the, the gist of the story and where I went with the series was, was that this was a series uh, a period of time seventy years in all where the Jewish people did not live in in Israel they were what was called they were in what was called the, the exile basically they had become slaves for seventy years in a king in Babylon which would be basically geographically would be modern day Iraq so. The king from Babylon, Iraq, came over and and besieged the city, tore it down, burned it down, took all of the Jewish people as slaves. And here's the the point, and that is that while they were there for 70 years, they were, listen very carefully now, they were in a culture that was different from their culture, their spiritual culture. And so they were living with the challenge of how do we stay true to our God in a culture that rejects our God? Are you following me, everybody? And it's actually very challenging. I think it's very challenging for Christians around the globe. This message is resonating with a lot of Christians. How do we live as Christians in a culture that seems to be away from everything we believe? And honestly, most Christians feel ill-equipped for the challenges that come along the way. So if you ever get into a discussion or a debate, or if you ever make a stance on what you think the Bible says... You're kind of almost afraid of what culture's reaction is going to be. Pastor Paul is even telling me how that that plays out right here in New Zealand, that some stand for their faith in some area to something they believe the Bible says, only to get the repercussion of culture back on them. Are you following me, everybody? So what do you do? Well, honestly, most people want to do the right thing. They don't know what to do. And most have fallen into one of two categories. They've either fallen into, well, I'm just going to stay true to God. I don't care who it offends. And if you don't like it, well, so what? And listen to me. God never called us to be right. He called us to be effective. So you can't just take your stance over here and everybody go to hell. That is not a good way to go, everybody. But then there's this whole other group of Christians that says, hey, we're going to have to tame the Bible down a little bit so that we can relate to culture more. And maybe we can't follow everything, but we can give them the good parts. No, 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 no. we got to stay true to God, too. Can I hear a good amen? So the question is of the day is, how do you do both? Well, I called it the Daniel Dilemma. That's what I call the book, The Daniel Dilemma. How, how, do you, how do you live between the tension of trying to stand firm and love well? How do you do that? We're going to talk about it a little bit today. Go to Daniel chapter 1. I'll just give you the, 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 the opening six verses, and then we'll jump into three things that culture is going to come at you with. So if it hasn't already, just get yourself ready. It's coming at you in these three areas, and I'm going to give you the three responses that you need to those three things That they're coming again. Here here we go. In verse one, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, so that was the Jewish king, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. In other words, God allowed it to happen because uh, because the Jewish people were rejecting God, and he said along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. That would be Iraq. And put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered, notice this guy's name, Ashpenaz. Don't name your kid that. Ashpenaz, chief of his court's officials, because he's in the story that we're going to talk about today. To bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. In other words, let all these Jewish people, let them just serve as slaves. But go find the smart, rich ones. They probably can help us in a different kind of a way. Bring them into my court. That's what he wanted, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Kind of reminds you of me, doesn't it, everybody? Just, you were thinking that, right? You didn't have to laugh that hard. All right, so <laughs> quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace, watch this, and teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. In other words, indoctrinate them into our culture. You've got, I want to get them in here, and I want them to not know their culture. I want them to know our culture. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And among them were four, Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now most of you know those three guys from not their Jewish name, but by their Babylonian name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that was not their name. Their real names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And that's the first thing, if you're taking notes, jot this down. The first thing that culture will try to do is culture will try to rename you. Culture's whole goal is to, in order to indoctrinate you into the process, is to give you a new name. And I'm not talking about a literal name. You might be called, my name is Chris. You may be called Chris your whole life. But what the devil wants, you to, to, wants to happen to you, you need to understand this. What the devil wants to happen to you is he wants to rename you. Watch the verse here in verse 7. The chief official gave them, everybody say it out loud, gave them new names. New names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah Shadrach, Mishael Meshach, and Azariah Abednego. Now, what the goal here is, is to re-identify your God-given purpose and your God-given identity to a different identity. And that's why, to this day, in culture, one of the major effects that you'll see in culture is confusion about who you are. All right, is anybody following me? You're hearing this. And honestly, there's a lot of us that have been redefined by some different things. I actually, in the book, and I don't have time to get into it now, I actually go into the, the Jewish meaning of the name. I, I love studying uh, names and their meanings. When we were naming our five children, uh, we gave every one of our five kids a biblical first name and a family middle name. And it's interesting to me that in every case, so Michael... Michael, of course, as after Michael the archangel, which is always delivering a message, I really believe that God's hand on my son's and Michael's life is to proclaim the good news. And by the way, I could drop this mic right now, and he could come up here and shut the corn. Come on, somebody, all right? I'll, y'all don't use that term here in New Zealand, do you? That, that means preach really good, all right? We, <laughs> but he, 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 he's very, very intelligent. Can, can, he, can, he can deliver the message. But his middle name is Robert after my dad. My dad was a genius uh, with math, he was actually, in our government and in the U.S., was, uh, was, an, was an auditor for the government. And he audited nine universities uh, in the area that we lived in. He brought audit teams to, to crunch all these numbers. Millions and millions and millions of dollars was to overlook these every single year. Michael, it's amazing to me, he lives that, he lives that name identity out in every way. He's, he's not only a, a, an incredible preacher in his own right, but he's a, he's a genius. I mean, the the guy over here he was so smart. He's the only one of my five kids that actually got a full ride academic scholarship to university. Didn't pay a penny. The the, the university paid for it all because he had so much, so much brains. It, it, it definitely did not come from me. Everybody, all right. In fact, when he finished high school, <laughs> when he finished high school, his last report card at high school, he it, 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 it comes in the mail in the states, and so he, we happened to be all in the kitchen when he opened it up. And he goes, he goes, he goes, he said, Dad, look, 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 look there, look there. All A's again. He said, I, I never made a B in my whole life. I said, that ain't nothing. I, I never made a B in my whole life either. Just shut on up. I don't See, All my receives. But anyway, so anyway. Yeah, he's really, 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 really smart. But here's the deal. The enemy, I've watched, he, uh, how old are you now, Michael? I don't even know my own son's name. 27 years old, all right, 27 years old. And I've watched his whole life how the devil has tried to rename him. And put a new identity in him. And to put something in him that would keep him quiet and keep... Are y'all listening to me, everybody? In fact, what's interesting is Daniel's Daniel's God-given name was God is my judge. I will only answer to God. His Babylonian name is Lady Protect the King. It even changed his gender in the renaming of him. Yeah, in every culture where you see a cultural challenge, I mean, for 26 generations of human history that's been recorded, you've seen gender confusion in every one of them. Oh, yeah. In fact, in, in Hananiah, Yahweh, his, name, his, his Jewish name is God is a good God, gracious God. His Babylonian name is I'm afraid of God. He'll even try to redefine who God is to you. Are y'all listening to me, everybody? The enemy is trying to rename us. He's trying to put a different identity on the inside of us. And bottom line is, I won't go through the rest of these is, but these names, well, they're brilliant. But it speaks so much for us. But when culture shifts, jot this down, you've got to know who you are in God. You've got to know. And they say, Pastor Chris, how do I know? That's what church is all about. Church is a place where you come and you just give your heart to Jesus and you're excited. But listen to me, you got to do a whole lot more than just come to church on a Sunday and give God a little praise and go live your life. Man, no, no. We go, we go to baptism. That was advertised with the, on the news segment just a minute ago. Hey, get water baptized. What is that? That's an that's a, that's a outward symbol of I, I was this way, but I'm letting God clean me up, and I'm coming up brand new and clean. I'm letting God change me. I'm going to get involved in all the next steps of the church and let God put the real name, the redeemed name, back on the inside of me. Say, somebody say amen right there. It's, it's very, very important to understand that the, the culture will always try to rename you. The second thing you see in this first chapter is, is that culture will try, it will try to change our standards. In other words, it wants to redefine what is right and wrong. Watch this in the next verse, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. So Chris, what what, what was the problem here? Well, the next thing that Ashpenaz wanted to do was force these Jewish kids to eat non-kosher food. So we're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to eat this food and wine that comes from the king's table. And honestly, it was against their laws. It was against their, their, their spiritual and religious laws to eat certain foods. And not only were these non-kosher foods, but these were also foods that had been sacrificed to idols. And Daniel, I love the language there, Daniel resolved. In other words, listen to me. In fact, hear this very strongly. He made a pre-decision before the decision came. So in other other words, before he ever got in this situation where where culture was saying, hey, don't live that way, he had already pre-decided, no, 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 here are my convictions. I'm not budging on these. He resolved, the Bible says, to to not eat the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I, I find myself constantly grappling, I call it, with the tension of how much of the world do I really let in my life? Are y'all feeling that as well? Like, should I really watch that movie and should I listen to that song? And honestly, I don't know where, where, where the line is sometimes. I do know this, I think it's a healthy thing for all of us to do is to grapple with, you know what, I'm going to make some decisions of what I am going to allow in my life and some things I'm not going to allow in my life. And I'm going to get into God's word and let it become this defining marker in my life. And I'm going to do the very best I can not to defile myself with some of the things that are going on in the world. I'm not here today to tell you where that line is. I am here today for you to get close to the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you feel a little check in your spirit, like, ah, 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 uh-uh, ah, ah, don't go there, That we have the guts and the courage to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to stay right here in this safe place in your hand. Amen, everybody? I'm telling you, we have to decide. Here's how I like to say it is, is in, that when culture shifts, we've got to reaffirm our, con- our convictions. In the book, I I went through this whole sections of the book just to help us come back to the biblical standard on some areas. But not as a law, but as something that I'm going to build my life on as a foundation. And just, I like to say it this way, is that the laws of God aren't there to make God happy. The laws are there to make you happy. When you live God's way, it's not for God's purposes and his sake. He wrote every one of those for your good, not for his good. Do you believe that, everybody? The Bible's on your side. It's not not just on God's side. God's not here to sterilize your life to some level of boredom. No, he's here to make your life better. You follow this way, there's peace and there's happiness. And I think we have to grapple with the tension, the tension that happens happens to us in culture. And here's the third thing that you'll see in chapter 1. In chapter 1, culture tried to do three things. In chapter 1, culture tried to rename and re-identify every one of these Jewish guys. Give them a new identity, a worldly identity instead of the God-given identity. He, he tried to get them to change their standards by, by bringing this, this challenge to what they believe was true. And the third thing is, is that culture tried to test them. Now, in fact, in fact, let me just say it this way. There's going to be a series of tests in your life that you can't get away from. That's just life's going to throw these your way. The question is, are you going to pass these tests? Because it's going to get challenging. Watch this in verse 9. We just, we're just going through chapter 1. I'm just, uh, I'm sorry, let's go to verse 11. It says, and then D- Daniel said to the guard whom the ch- chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and, 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 and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And then treat your servants in accordance to what you see. And so he agreed and th- to this, and he tested them for 10 days. And if you read actually the rest of the book of Daniel, there would be a continual series of tests. Because then there would be the worship test. Are you going to bow down? Uh, uh, then, there, then there was the don't worship test. Hey, you can't pray. You can't get on your knees and pray to your God. you got to pray to this king. I mean, there would be this constant series of tests over and over. And the question is, are we prepared for the test? I got saved at 15 years old. I was raised in church but didn't know God. So hear that right. I was raised in church and didn't know God. I, was, I had a relationship with my church, but I didn't have a relationship with God. So there's going to be a lot of people who are, according to the Bible, who are going to go to hell because they knew their church and didn't know their God. Yeah. Jesus said many on that day, on judgment day, will say, Lord, Lord, and not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? And he, say, he tells him he says, because I never knew you. Religion doesn't get you to heaven, only relationship does. Come on, somebody, all right? So I'd been in church 15 years, and at 15 years old, I got saved coming to a church like this. I'd never seen, I'd never seen a church like this. My church was very formal. It was, in every way, it was just real formal, okay? And I got in here, and they were jumping around and drums on the stage, and I didn't like it, and I was drawn to it all at the same time. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to figure it all out, and, and, and I gave my heart to Jesus that day, and my life changed dramatically because I came into a relationship with God. At 19 years old, I'm a sophomore at university, and uh, I, worked, I worked between classes at the law school where, where, where people who were getting their degree to, to practice law at the uh, LSU, Louisiana State University Law School, and I worked at this maintenance office as a student job trying to make a few bucks between classes. And my boss, a guy named Al Toll, had a friend that worked with the LSU, Louisiana State University Police Department, and his name was Muhammad. Very, very nice guy. Came by very frequently. I really actually enjoyed his company. He came by all the time, but one day he walked into this office, and I was reading my Bible because there was nothing to do. I was in a maintenance office with nothing to fix, all right, and so I'm getting paid to sit there, so I thought, well, I'm going to just read my Bible. I was, very, I was really on fire for God when I, when I was that in college. I still am, but I was really on fire for God, and, um, and Muhammad walks in and sees me reading my Bible, and so he walks over to me, and he says, hey, Chris, I can prove to you you don't believe everything in that book. Now, and if you're like me, I'm thinking, oh, man, he probably studied something I don't know, you know, and he's going to have a better answer for it than I than I don't know because I hadn't studied it like he studied it. I call it a gotcha verse. I gotcha, right? I, I gotcha, right? And so I was afraid. I was kind of like, oh, man, you know, because I, I, I felt, honestly, I felt ill-equipped for that moment. I was being tested, and I didn't know what to do. And I'm going to tell you something. Look, look, I think the Holy Spirit stirred a little courage on the inside, and I felt like, I don't know. I just responded. Like, I said, no, no, if it's in there, I believe it. And he goes, I can prove it to you. I said, no, okay, then come on, come on over here and show me. So I'm looking at my Bible. I'm sitting at this desk. And I'm just looking at my Bible. And he's walking over. And what I think he's going to do is he's going to flip to a page. And he's going he's to point something out right there. And he's going, uh-huh, there, there it is right there. So I'm, looking at, I'm just looking at my Bible, waiting on him. When all of a sudden, he hauled off and slapped the fire out of my face. I mean, pow. I was I was not expecting it, as you can imagine. Come on, South, where y'all at? Right, Melbourne, right? You know, and it's like I wasn't aware. I said, Muhammad, what that? What was that all about?" He goes, "If you believe the Bible, turn the other cheek." And I said, "Are you serious? <laughs> this is your test? <laughs> this is your verse that you're going to show me? Like, what do you do? Go around slapping Christians? What are you doing? You know, what are you doing?" And I said, and, and he goes, no. And he was shaking his finger in my face. Turn, and you see, aha, you don't believe it, do you? And I said, yes, I do. Hit me. And I turned my, I went like this. Come on. He goes, no, nah, you don't believe it. I said, yes, I do. Hit me. He goes, no, nah, you don't believe it. Now I think he's bluffing. I said, hit me. And he hit me again, y'all. So, <laughs> not not as hard the second time. But he, you know, he, and he took his police cap off. And he goes, well, I found myself a real Christian. I thought, please don't go around slapping people. <laughs> And this opened up, seriously, months of conversation between me and this guy about faith and about what I believed and what he believed. And we had interesting, and he, he very drawn to the presence of God, ended up coming to church, um, and, to, and he just very, very, very drawn, honestly, to something authentic and real. Here's the, here's, but here's the deal, and that is, are, are we prepared for something like that? And here's what I want you to hear, and I'm going to develop this a little bit more before we go, and that is, is that, that when culture shifts, we have to respond the right way. It's actually critical. If I if I don't leave you anything else today, let me leave you this and that is that culture's coming after you. Okay, and you better know what your name is. You better know what how God sees you. You better have your conviction strong. And every one of us, whenever we face the cultural challenges, we're got to, to be very careful to respond the right way. Well, then, Pastor Chris, how should I respond? Thank you, Live Church, so much for asking. I appreciate that. All right. <laughs> There's two words I'm going to leave you with. In fact, you don't remember anything else today, you need to remember these words, and you need to remember them in the order that I give them to you. Because because not only did Daniel show us the right way, Daniel had this uncanny ability. Over 70 years, he probably, young people, he probably came in as a teenager. Some estimate, scholars believe he was 17 years old when he came in. So he lived there to 87, 70 years. While he was there, he never once, not one time, Went against what God's word said, but at the same time over those 70 years, he, he had influence into the culture. Four different administrations, and all four of them asked him for advice. All four of them. He's, here, here's the, here's the, the subtitle of my book. It's how, to, how you can stand firm and love well at the same time. That you can be true to God and have influence in the culture at the same time. And how do you do it? If I gave you the whole thing in one sentence, it would be John chapter 1, verse 14. I'll show it to you in Jesus' life. That the word, Jesus, became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Read the last line out loud. Come on, Melbourne. Come on, south. Here we go. Full of grace. Full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That I'm going to give you grace, but I'm going to give you truth at the same time and by the way you have to give grace first before you give truth the way I say it is you have to connect before you correct that we have to bring we, have, we bring truth into culture by first giving people grace it's actually very critical because there's a whole group of people that will give what I call truth without grace truth without grace is mean <laughs> it is here's the truth and you're going to hell All right, hey everybody or you, where I'm from in the deep south of, 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 the, of the United States. where I'm, I'm in sweet home Alabama. Come on, somebody, right? And they say hail. It's two syllables, hail. You're going to hail. You better turn or burn. You know, that's their message, right? No, that's, that's not our message. It's just, but truth without grace is mean. But watch this. Grace without truth is meaningless. If you try to give somebody, well, we just love you. We don't want to help you. We're not going to make your life better. God's not going to call you in any standard. Just you're free. God loves you. No, yeah he, yeah, he loves you. He loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. In fact, the most loving thing God does is call us out of our sin. The most loving thing He does when He calls me out of my sin, it's not because He's mad at me. It's because He wants my life to be better. It's the most loving thing a God can do is say, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to be miserable. You don't have to have all that junk in your life. And he calls us out of our sin. And so that's why that, that we have to give grace without truth is meaningless. But if you put truth and grace together, I man, it's good spiritual medicine. It's just, me- it'll heal you in every way. And that's really what the model of Daniel is in the book of Daniel. And I try to really teach it in, the, in, in this book that I wrote. I actually even give scripts. When a person comes to you and says, hey, I believe this, or if your kid comes home from school and says, mommy, I met somebody who is A, and they feel whatever the blank is, how do I respond to what? We even give the responses, the, the appropriate responses to every one of those situations. How do I do with my friend who's anti-God? I mean, there, there are ways that we can do it full of grace. And truth. But I'll close with one story that I think illustrates it. I think stories are the best way to teach, and that's why Jesus told so many stories. And you some of you, you might know, know this story. It's a be- I call it one of the most beautiful stories in the entire Bible. It says in John 8, verse 1, look on the screen. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Watch this. They put her in front of the crowd. So these religious guys caught this woman in the act of adultery, which I always ask, well, what were they doing there? But anyway, that's another question. <laughs> they put her in front, of the, in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law, or the truth, says she has to die by stoning. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him to saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. He doodled in the dirt, all right? And they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away. Watch this, very interesting detail. They left this crowd, these, these people coming against this woman, they left one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And scholars don't know why they left one at a time, but we do know they left one at a time as Jesus was doodling in the dirt. Now, there's a lot of theories about what he was writing in the dirt. No one knows because the Bible doesn't say. So the only thing you can do is come up with your own theory. I have mine. you want to hear it? And I think he was either writing out their sins or their mistresses. Sally. He goes off, Martha. He goes, Anyway, that's, that's my theory. I, I like my theory. Because they live by one, one by one. Anyway. But the, <laughs> that's funny. I don't care what y'all say. That's hilarious. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Watch this. Didn't even, even one of them condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And he watched this. He says, neither do I condemn you, grace. I don't condemn you. But he didn't leave it there. Now go leave your life of sin, truth. He gives both at the same time. He gives this whole message in a sentence. Look at me, Life Church. Look, look, Listen, other, all, all the other locations. He loves you just the way you are. He does not condemn you. but he, That's grace. But he would love to lead you to a life free from sin. That's truth. And that's our response. That needs to be our response to the culture around us as well. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? Amen. Several years ago, I was, I was at my hometown in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I'm from, which is an hour north of New Orleans, Louisiana. Some of you may have heard that city. It's a great, great, great city. And I took the airplane I, I drove an hour south to, to get the direct flight because there's only a direct flight from New Orleans to Birmingham where I live. Um, not one from Baton Rouge. It had actually taken me longer. So I've, I drove down to New Orleans to catch this flight. And we have an airline in the States called Southwest. And Southwest will not let you have an assigned seat. You pick it as you walk on the plane. There, it's all open seating. And so the problem with that is is that you can't choose who sits with you, right? So, I, anyway, I had my friend with me on one side, but I had this empty seat sitting next to me. And I don't know about you, but it matters to me who sits next to me. I'm like, I want the right person, right? Because, I mean, you get the wrong person, it can be a miserable flight. Are y'all following me, everybody, right? So, as people are boarding, my prayer life is improving. Father God, not Lord Jesus, please, no. In Jesus' name, amen. Then they walk by, you know. <laughs> Come on, don't lie, you've done it too. <laughs> And so, so, they, so they're, they're coming on. And this girl turn, comes around the corner from boarding. He's like, whoop, 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 high five, high five. You know, she just high-fiving everybody down, just dancing down. And she'd been on what – there's a street in New Orleans called Bourbon Street where they party. And she had obviously come straight from Bourbon Street. I mean, she'd come on, high five, and she'd sure plop right next to me. And I was like, oh, man. And so uh, – <laughs> And sure she plops down and she goes, so, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and when you're a preacher, you got to decide if you're going to lie or not. You know what I'm saying? You know? so, so I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And she goes, duh, we're all passengers. I said, no. <laughs> Come on, Anthony, that's hilarious. I said, no, not a, not a passenger, a pastor, like of a church. And she goes, oh, well, I don't like Christians. Well, I knew the kind she'd probably been raised around, so I played along. I said, yeah, girl, me too. That's why I had to start my own church. And so (laughs) she's trying to get her attention, you know what I'm saying? She goes, I don't understand. I said, well, Christianity has a branding problem. Now, there's there's kind of a couple of brands out there. This is a whole group that will eat your lunch, tell you everything you ever did wrong, and won't even let you come to their church until you get your act together. I said, that's not what the Bible says. I said, there's a whole other group of us that understands that we're all fall." And I just explained to the God the difference between the kind of the two brands out there Christianity. Well, she had already gotten another drink. I mean, they had already come with a cart, and she's got a drink. And she goes, what does your God think about this? And she shoved it kind of in my face. What does he think about this? And I said, well, I don't think he cares about that. I think he cares about you. And if he ever got you, he could talk to you about that later. She goes, well, I've never heard that before in my life. I said, because it's in the Bible. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and what I was trying to do is give her grace before I gave her the truth. I had, I had a response, but my response didn't matter until she believed that God loves her first. And so she, I had her attention now. She goes, that's interesting. I said, I know. Well, my plane's, the plane's landing now, and she's going on to Nashville. And so the plane lands. She goes, well, I have to have more. I said, once you, you watch our service, we stream it live online. You can watch it live online. She says, really? I said, yeah. So I gave her the link. And I said, watch. And I said, if you do, I'll look into the camera and give you a shout-out. She goes, you won't. Oh, I said, yes, I will. So the next morning at the church, I said, good morning, everybody. Welcome all of our campuses. Hey, Tanya. I told you I'd do it, girl. What's up? You know. So I gave her a little shout-out. Her name was Tanya. And, um, and so I, just, I, I ended up, I ended up uh, preaching my whole message. I really tailor-made it to her. And so the next morning, I get an email from Tanya. And she said, she said, she goes, she goes, it was an amazing service. She goes, thank you for the shout out. I can't believe you did that. And she goes through this whole thing. She goes, I realized now that I never could understand God because of Christians. I said, I, and, and she goes, I just couldn't understand God. She goes, but now I want God. And her salutation was, I'm ready to surrender. Come on, somebody. And she's ready. And I called her back, gave her, she gave her heart to Jesus over the phone. Come on, somebody give God some praise. And she got the truth. All she needed was a little grace on the front end to be able to receive it. I want to close today. I want to ask you the question. Are you ready for culture? Are you ready? Are you ready to step into it? Listen to me. Every one of us, every single one of us needs to step into the culture that we're in and represent our God in a great way. Look in my eyes and hear this. Come on up, team. Let's let's pray. And the first is you got to know. Listen to me. Watch me. Watch this. Come on. Listen, campuses. You got to know who you are. And if you're confused about who you are and how God's made you, I urge you, get involved in the life of the church and let them see you get healed and delivered and they'll pray for you and you'll get in groups and they'll disciple you. And the purpose of church isn't just for you to come check a spiritual box on a Sunday. It's for God to begin to do a brand new work on the inside. If you wouldn't plan on conference, come to conference this week and watch God show you some things about yourself and you're going to leave there knowing who you are in Christ. It's also important that every one of us start grappling with, you know what? I'm going to stand for Jesus no matter what. But also, as we go through the tests of life, we're going to do it full of grace and truth. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every person here. And God, that you would help us as we navigate culture and as we try to go through the things that are so challenging for us. And God, I pray for every believer here, God, to be fully equipped. In the name of Jesus, to stand in the middle of it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.